0: Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton. This podcast will seek to define and explain this important question from multiple points of view. We will interview owners, breeders, caregivers, defenders, advocates, champions, and educators. The mission of my podcast is to seek and foster collaborative conversations where every point of view feels heard, acknowledged, and appreciated. I look forward to you joining me on this journey toward a better understanding of each other. It is possible to have an impossible conversation. It starts with listening for common ground first. I am so glad you're here listening in with me. Now let's see what my next guest has to say. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, and thank you again for coming to Why Do Pets Matter, a podcast about why pets matter to various people. Today, I am with my dear friend, Dr. Cindy Trice, who is the creator and CEO of a wonderful group called Relief Rover. Cindy, thanks so much for being here.
1: Thanks for having me, Deborah.
0: I am so glad you're here because, well, first of all, you're a breath of fresh air. And um, I'm sure that every practice that you go to as Relief Rover uh, feels you're a breath of fresh air as well.
1: I hope so. I try to be.
0: Well, I know you are, because I've known you now for a number of years, and you've been one of the bright lights in our Vet Partners group, as well as any vet conference that I've gone to. And I think you just won an award at VMX, right? I did.
1: I won um, a a basically entrepreneur uh, pitch competition at VMX. Yeah, that
0: was for new entrepreneurs, people who are out there doing new things,
1: yeah, so they picked they picked 26 startup companies to be in a thing called the Startup Circle and from those 26 companies they picked 5 to participate in a pitch competition. And uh, I won.
0: (laughs) Of course, you won because who wouldn't (laughs) want a relief rover? I want a relief attorney here to help me. And uh, I think what you're doing is such a deep rooted well being program. But we'll get to that in a minute because I want to ask you the question that I ask everyone who comes on why do pets matter? So, Cindy Trice, doctor of veterinary medicine, why do pets matter to you?
1: I cannot even imagine life without a pet. I spent. I grew up with pets, of, as many of us did, and I did spend some time in my early adulthood after I graduated from college and um, and was in the workforce before I was a veterinarian without a pet. Then, in my mid twenties, I adopted my first pet as a grown up, and that dog. I feel like those pets are always. Very, very special to people. Sometimes even more special than the pets you grew up with. And that was true for me and true for this dog. He went through so many important life events with me. He lived to be 17. I adopted him from a shelter in Oakland. He was a corgi border collie mix. He was really naughty. (laughs) Wait, one
0: minute. Okay. Go back and tell us who he was, because my internet went in and out. So go back to, um, he was special, and then describe him, what you just did.
1: So this dog was so special. I adopted him from a shelter in Oakland. He was probably about two or three years old when I adopted him. I think he was a Corgi border collie mix. And being my first dog as an adult, and that I had full responsibility for, I certainly adopted a handful, (laughs) but I loved him for all his naughtiness. I learned a lot about dog training and uh, managing a herding breed. Um, But he was with me through so many of life's events. He was with me when I decided to go to vet school. He was with me through vet school. He was with me through cancer. He was with me through... Um, my through turning my boyfriend into a husband. And um
0: he was and, good at that. And he allowed him to be a husband because sometimes, you know.
1: Oh, and he did not like he didn't like anyone. And he definitely didn't really like men. And this is how I knew my husband was a good guy. Because when he first met my dog, I gave all these warnings like, oh, um, so don't look him in the eye. <laughs> and, <you> know, <laughs> and Don't, you know, just ignore him. He, you know, he might be a little, you know, sassy to you at first. Don't try to pet him. I gave him all these warnings before he walked in the door. And Merle was the name of my dog. Merle looked at Jimmy, my, hus- my now husband, and wagged his tail and walked right up to him and gave him the most gentle look. And Jimmy bent down and pet, petted him. And I am telling you, that would not have happened with any other human being who he wasn't around for a long time. And I knew at that moment, I am marrying the human version of a dog, and that's going to work out for me.
0: <laughs> you know, it's funny how that works, because my dogs really didn't like anybody I dated till I dated my husband, Jimmy. and uh, And look where he is now you know, he, he says, I've never spent five minutes with you without a dog. And I said, yes, that's probably quite true. So I love that story. And, you know, I always call them, so there's the childhood dogs that you described. You, know, you had pets when you were younger, but then there's the transition dogs that mean so much. Mm-hmm. Because that helped bring
1: you into adulthood. Well, that was what mine did. It, he helped bring me into true adulthood.
0: And many of my, my podcast guests have all said that there's either been a dog in their childhood that helped them manage childhood stresses and strains, or there was the dog that created that ability to stand on your own two feet um, and transition from young adulthood to really being on your own. I mean, going to vet school navigating cancer there's so many rich things here that we'll have to have you back to talk about because i mean these dogs really do um create that situation where we are fearless because we know at home there's somebody there who's going to let us know that we are like a-okay exactly yep it's so cool so before we before we got on this um, call, we had the three things um, that we were going to chat about which are interesting to me because well let's back up a minute. There are the three things and I'm you know to my podcast listeners, you know I'm always trying to do those three things, but I so want to chat with my guests in a way that's totally organic that I always forget to do it. Uh, but before we get into the three things, tell me a little bit about. Merle um, going to vet school and then how that went into what you're doing now and why pets matter to you now in such a different way. So, well, Merle
1: was, um, I adopted him before I got into veterinary school, but then when he is in vet school, and I I will tell you, there is either no better or no worse fate than the dog of a vet student. So Merle was a good sport about being the practice, you know, let's practice rectal exams, so let's, you know,
0: practice. Oral exams, let me open your mouth and look down your throat. Exactly,
1: or, you know, ultrasound or whatever. So the, you know, the vet school dogs get a lot of um, diagnostics done on them and a lot of practice, and they really serve the vet students well. So he really serves served that role. But then, you know, moving forward, as I got, as I became a veterinarian and, uh I got into veterinary practice and, and, you know, was working really hard as veterinarians tend to do. Um, and, and over the years, I started to feel some of the struggles that, that we hear about all the time in veterinary practice. Merle was a rock for me during those stressors. You know, he was some, some, someone nonjudgmental to come home to. and. Um, And I have people in my life like that as well, so I wasn't completely reliant on Merle for that kind of non-judgmental support. There are many people in my life, including my husband, that gave me that while I was stressed, but there's something about a dog, right? And, um, And just, or a pet, it doesn't even have to be a dog, but for me, it just happened to be a dog. And what I realized over time was that I was not the only veterinarian who was having these struggles. And so I transitioned to relief work and did a lot of time doing relief work. And initially the relief work was for me, it was to help suit my lifestyle. And what relief work is for anyone who may not know. A Wait, rem- i just gonna
0: ask you that question.
1: <laughs> yeah, a relief veterinarian is a veterinarian who fills in for other veterinarians, um, whether that's for vacation or maternity leave or sudden illness, or even if a practice is um, maybe they have busy seasons and relief vets can come in and pick up some of that, um, those extra shifts and and take care of those patients. What I found over time, initially it was for me, it was to suit my lifestyle, it was to suit my schedule. Um, My husband is a freelance photographer, so we had opportunities to live in multiple parts of the country, and you can't really do that as an associate um, very easily. So relief work suited that. But what I realized over time was that the thing I loved about relief work the most is that I was helping my colleagues. I felt so good that I could help a colleague who was feeling tired and stressed or overwhelmed, and that I could give them an opportunity to take a break. And that became the most meaningful thing to me about being a relief vet.
0: Isn't that interesting? When you start to think about caring for yourself, by virtue of thinking about caring for yourself, you start to realize you're caring for others.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: It's like the mask thing on the airplane, which is overused so much, but I love it. You know, that's why they tell you to put the mask on first. So you realized in your practice that you needed a break. And then you said, wait a minute, I'm, I'm really not just serving myself and my lifestyle with my wonderful husband, who's a photographer, who I should connect with my husband, who loves to do photography. Um, I mean, they're Jimmies and they're photographers. Boy, that's like... <laughs> Synergy, you're only about 40 years younger than me, so there you go. Um, but the being of service part was yelling in my head when you said, I'm doing this for myself, but then I realized. So take us on the path. So here you are. You decided to do self-care. You were a you were an associate, I presume, when you got out of vet school. So take us on the journey.
1: So the journey is the journey is a little windy because I um when I, gradu- I graduated from vet school in 2004, I went straight into an internship, but two months into that internship, I got diagnosed with cancer, so I had to drop out. The first time around in that internship, my intention was to go to, into a, a residency. I hadn't decided what specialty I wanted to pursue, but I was thinking internal medicine or maybe critical care and, uh, and then getting sick. And dropping out waylaid everything and sort of changed my whole perspective. Once I was done with my treatments and well enough to go back to work, I went to work as an associate at a really wonderful practice. But it really bothered me that I did not finish the internship. So I went back and I started the internship over. And I did that. And then after the internship in 2007 was was my break where I said, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a little relief work to see what's out there. I wanted to see kind of what clinics were around. And I was doing this in Florida where I live now. And then my husband had an opportunity to go to Montana for this photography school. And so we ended up living six months in Montana and six months in Florida. And that was when I really started to think, oh, this can be a career like I can just be a relief vet as a career. And um, so I really started to, to sort it out. And that was kind of how I went into relief practice. Now I did have another four and a half years where I was an associate um, in between. I went back to that same practice where I was at before. And this is another great example. I was doing relief for them and they said, hey, will you stay? And I knew that we were going to be in Florida for a while. And I really like that practice. It's an excellent practice. And I said, sure. So I stayed and I continued to do relief work on the side, um, on my days off. Cause I kind of wanted to keep my finger in it and also to make, make extra money. Um, but you know, it just, the associate thing ran its course in four and a half years. And I said, you know what? I love, I love you guys. I love this practice. I still do relief work for, for them all the time. I said, but I need, I found my calling and I need to go, I need to pursue, continue to pursue relief practice. That's where I belong.
0: It's funny when serendipity steps in. So you were going to be in Florida for a substantial period of time. So you could say, oh, yeah, I could be an associate. Great. And then, you know, that created, from what I'm hearing you say, the ability for you to really test um, your muscle on whether or not relief work was for you or associate work was for you because you got the opportunity to take the time to figure out associate work. I love um, that you said after you successfully, thank God, um, navigated the cancer um, care, you went back and finished the internship. Aren't we all sort of driven all the time to finish what we started? Um, And then the relief work went right after the internship, I think, if I remember correctly. And then you got this associate position after you came back from Montana, correct? Uh, yes. Um, and, and so you were able to dip your toe into several pools for a substantial amount of time.
1: Yes. And what I found that I, one of the other things I love about relief practice, beyond just realizing that I was helping my colleagues, I, when I was an associate, I missed all of those connections there's something really that that has given me a much more powerful connection to my profession as a whole being a relief practitioner because i go into so many different clinics i meet so many different veterinarians and support staff and um and And clients and clients and the the and the clients are are different in different places. I've worked in Florida, I've worked in Montana, I've worked in Washington, and I've worked in California. And you get a little different feel everywhere you go. And it's been so enjoyable to meet all these different clients. And yeah, and and as far as clients go, um, another thing I love about being a relief vet is that one of the skills of being a relief vet is to be able to make uh, quick connections with people. to to obtain people's trust quickly because they don't know you. You're not their regular vet. So there is a little bit of uh, many times guardedness or suspicion about you as an unfamiliar vet coming in the room. And there are things that we can do as relief veterinarians to quickly engage people who we know we may not see again or we may not see them for a very long time and let them know that even though we are not your primary vet, we care and, we, and we're informed and we care about you and we care about your pet.
0: I think that is such an important piece of relief vet and quite frankly, all vet, because sometimes you get so complacent that you know me. And so you don't have to tell me things because you know me or you don't have to thank me for coming in because you know me. And, and I think as a relief vet, um, you either just come in and do your job which doesn't necessarily fill the need of, as you said, trust and compassion um, that clients need to feel from their veterinarians. Um, Or they come in and they really do plant the seed of, I get it. You don't know me. You know I don't know your dog because I've never seen him before. But Dr. Smith trusts me and I would love to gain your trust too. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And that is... There, and, and this is one of the things that I always say: relief vets need all of the, the you know, requisite skills that that regular veterinarians need, right? Um, you know, you need your medical skills, you need your surgical skills, you need your you need your communication skills. You know, depending on what your scope of practice is. But relief vets have some extra skills that they need. And I really feel that relief vets need to be people, people. All vets need to be people, people, but relief vets especially so because you are working not only with unfamiliar clients, but you're working with unfamiliar teams on a regular basis. You've got to have a high level of emotional intelligence. You can't wear your emotions on your sleeve all the time because your mood is going to affect the mood. Of those around you, especially as a new and unfamiliar person coming into a clinic and coming into a team. And, and you need to, you need to have great interpersonal communication skills because you've got to connect with people that you aren't used to. Their, you know, we all have shorthand communication that we learn when we, when we work together as a team for long periods of time, you get shorthand communication. And everyone knows everyone else's mood and everyone knows that just a look or a way that someone is standing, they're approachable, they're not approachable. We learn these things about each other when we work tightly. And veterinary practices, as you know, are often small spaces and you've got loads of people working very hard in very tight spaces. So you get to know each other well, but as a relief vet, you don't. So you got to figure out how to read those clues. You've got to figure out how to come in, and I, I call it a no wake zone. Your job as a relief vet is to create no wake. You I do, love that. You don't come in and create a wake um, because you don't come in with your own, um, you bring a positive energy into the clinic every time if you can and and you work with that team and you pay attention to the clues and the interpersonal um, communication to make sure that that day runs smoothly and that you are supporting that practice because that is your primary job as a relief vet is to
0: support the practice. That is so intuitive of you because it is about coming in supporting the practice, um, not being judgmental or um, overly critical of different ways of doing things, um, and yet there are times when you probably see things as a relief vet that you would love to share, but that sometimes is a very delicate piece of relief veterinary medicine as well.
1: Absolutely. And, and it is true. You really need to try to check, check your judgment at the door. It's hard. All of us do it. Everyone, everyone does it. We do it all the time. We do it without, you know, it's the whole unconscious bias thing. We do it all the time, but this, and this is where emotional intelligence comes in. You do have some control and it is best to to check your judgment at the door. And you may see things that, that could be improved upon. And if you have a good relationship with that practice, there are diplomatic ways to bring it up where The practice can benefit and you can benefit if you go back to work at that practice. The thing you absolutely do not want to do is is confuse the staff by criticizing the way their primary doctor does things. You certainly don't want to do that in front of a client. Um, Even if you disagree with the way the primary doctor did something, the client should never know that. You can suggest other ways. You can say, hey, I'm looking at this with a different set of eyes, and I have another idea that we you know, we may be able to try. There's not, as is, as is the case in almost all medicine, there is no one r- right way to do things. Um, so there are ways you can support the c- practice and still um, live up to your own standards of medicine and, and to your own judgment as a doctor.
0: Right, because we all aren't there on the day when maybe the first initial um, diagnosis was done. We didn't see the dog in the initial diagnosis, so we're seeing the dog now later or the cat or the bird or the horse. And so, yeah, you can, I love the way you put that. You know, I'm seeing this with different eyes, fresh eyes, at a different time in in the dog's history of this, you know, Malady, whatever it is, and so let's see if we can all work together because criticizing doesn't really um, create uh, a fast track to healing. It it sort of puts a bunch of roadblocks up, in in my opinion.
1: Absolutely, a hundred percent.
0: Because then people get really defensive, and and you really don't have um, the ability to have that open conversation that benefits the pet.
1: And it doesn't even need to be outside about something in the practice that they're right. doing you know, what the relief vet perceives as wrong. Sometimes it's just, hey, I see an opportunity for um, something that your practice might benefit from. Or, so I always refer to us as pollinators. And we do this naturally without thinking about it. Many times I learn something or I try a new product or a new service or um, a new technique that I learn from a hospital And I will bring that to another hospital and they, you know, and and there is a treasure trove of information in our practices and not just with veterinarians, but with, with support staff as well. There's so much great information and relief vets tend to be pollinators of that information.
0: And I I I can see it more clearly because they're not working with everyone day to day to day, they might turn to somebody and go, wow, that's really innovative. And the vet might say, oh, well, she's been doing that forever and I didn't re- even really notice. But you're like, just give them the kudo for, holy crap, that's great.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there are great ideas everywhere out there. And and you know, as a relief that you do have to be careful and you cause your your client is the clinic. And so you wanna anything that's proprietary or something like that, you wanna protect and you're not sort of spreading that kind of information around. But most of the time there it's not that. It's just, you know, it's yeah techniques and products and things that that anyone would be happy to share they just like you said they don't even really realize that it's interesting or unique
0: right and and you know what i always think there's enough for everyone so sharing always makes your basket bigger because then people feel free to share with you um and and so this is the perfect segue into now that you've seen all of these new and innovative things you created relief rover and Tell us a little bit about that before we run out of time, because I certainly don't want that to happen.
1: (laughs) So I created Relief Rover because as I looked around, so as I thought about myself, when I made the transition in my mind that relief practice can actually be a career choice, that was kind of the first step. Then the next step was this, there are specific things that need to be in place for a relief veterinarian, and I had this realization that, oh, I'm actually a business owner. I'm actually a business to business service provider. And this is what I am as a relief vet. And surprisingly, I think many people don't think of it that way, including the practices who are our clients. They often don't think of it that way, which is interesting. And I looked around to see if there were resources for those who want to be true business to business service providers. And there were very few. There is a woman, she's wonderful, and maybe you know her, Karen Smith. Yep. Mm-hmm. So she had a lot of resources um, for, she called them Flex Vets. And she wrote a book called Flex Vet How to Be One, How to Hire One. And I actually bought that back in probably 2007. And it was a little, it was a three ring binder that was chock full of really good information for someone who wanted to start their own relief practice. So I reached out to her to see if we could somehow work together. And I ended up um, co-authoring the updated version of that book. But that was it. That was all that was out there. So Relief Rover was born to provide resources for those relief vets who wanna be business to business service providers and to help veterinary practices find relief veterinarians. When I came up with the idea for Relief Rover, there were a few regional relief staffing agencies around. Nobody was nationwide at the time. Now there there are more. But the other reason Relief Rover came as an idea was because I had a single doctor practice in Truckee, California reach out to me via LinkedIn. I was living in Florida. She asked me to come cover her maternity leave. I did not know her. She did not know me. I'm just crazy enough to do something like that. So we had a, we had a conversation on the phone, handled the logistics. I moved out to California with my husband and uh, my two dogs. And we, I had a fabulous time. I lived in California. I worked at her practice five days a week. On the weekends, I went hiking. And I thought, I can't be the only one who's willing to do this, who's willing to travel for relief work. And so the whole rover part of relief rover is not, you're not just roving necessarily within your little community, you're roving. You may be roving the whole land, uh, the whole country, or even potentially internationally. So I wanted to create a platform for connection.
0: I love it. So, so when you said relief rover i of course said well of course you're you're doing the dogs you're relief rover right and now i'm i'm sure the light bulb went on for all my listeners as well so you're the irish rover as well because you're roving um and you're helping other people rove, as you said so so incredible um and and not enough time to really explore this but we have to have you back because i want to hear more stories about how you really created this um, program uh, so that other veterinarians could thrive because they know that they're getting assistance from people who are willing to do this. So you are, tell me again, you are the creator and CEO of Relief Rover And how do people get in touch with you, veterinarians, um, get in touch with you? But also we could have all of our podcast listeners tell their veterinarians about you as well. So how do they get you? It's ReliefRover.com?
1: ReliefRover.com. And we have right now, uh, we have two membership categories for relief veterinarians and for veterinary practices or other employers of independent contractor vets. So what we found is it's not always just veterinary practices. There are other people um, we've had some writing positions posted, some editing positions posted. So, um, so we have those two membership categories. So reliefrover.com.
0: I love it, and Cindy Trace. And so, for my listeners, we did have the three things that we we're going to cover, and we did. Um, so, vet relief is is really professional well-being. First, Cindy started with her professional well-being as a relief. Um, vet. And then she realized that she could spread that well-being by um, enabling people to find relief veterinarians more easily so they could think about their well-being. So that's number one. And correct me if I'm wrong when I'm done. Um, And it really changes the work and the dynamics in a practice because if you have a thoughtful and engaging relief vet both the veterinary and the staff and the clients are going to welcome that relief Vet really well. Um, And it's an opportunity to work autonomously um, with a higher purpose. So those are the three things I took away as well as I love them, make no wake, oh my goodness, love it, and pollination, because there is always enough for everyone. So if you share things that people are doing that are so wonderful um, and make somebody's life easier, it could be proprietary i get it because i'm an attorney and you know we fight these things not me anymore but some do uh but really if we share doesn't it make the world a better place and so city trice relief rover you are sharing all of your experience um as a, a an assistant vet as an intern and now as as the uh, doyenne so to speak of relief um vets at relief rover
1: thank you yeah thank you thanks for summing it up i like that <laughs>
0: Well, I'll make sure that I write it down so you can go out and talk about it because uh, it really is important that more vets know about this. This is one of my favorite podcasts. I'll clue you in and say that I usually say that at the end of every podcast because I learned so much. Um, We are absolutely going to have you back because I want to hear more stories about how that synergy works when a relief vet uh, comes in I love, we just touched upon the rover part, which I didn't even consider that somebody would be able, I mean, I love Truckee, California. It's in between Sacramento and um, Lake Tahoe. I only found it because I drove from Lake Tahoe to Sacramento, went through Truckee, so I know exactly where it is. And it's beautiful there, hiking phenomenal uh so you know why wouldn't you as a young vet or retired vet or almost retired vet want to and even regular vet uh want to be able to take a take part in and participate with cindy trice at relief rover so that you can do all those fun things while you're actually keeping your finger in the um well i won't say um an anal uh Test, but maybe oral. So if you're looking at more mouths. You know, there you go. So this is Deborah Hamilton with the wonderful Dr. Cindy Trice of Relief Rover. I hope you enjoyed this. We gave you your three things to take away, and I will look forward to seeing you on the next edition of Why Do Pets Matter. You've been listening to the podcast Why Do Pets Matter. This is Deborah Hamilton. Do you have a great idea or guest or topic that you'd like me to cover? Write me at Hamiltonlawandmediation.com or email me at why do pets matter podcast at gmail dot com. Until next week, our pets do matter. Thank you for being here with me.